The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball today on a Wednesday, August 12th. Frank Stample and Scott White back again. Just the two of us here, Scotty. I haven't asked in a while, but how's life? How are you doing, Scott? I, I got to check in on you. Make sure everything's good. Everything's good. Everything's good. Just, uh, you know, getting getting back into back into old habits for however long uh however long they last right you know it's going to be over in a blink of an eye it's already a quarter of the way over and i'm we're not quite in a good routine here yet we're not quite in the flow by the time we get there it'll be over uh but enjoying it for now how about you frank first time first time doing the regular season version of the fantasy baseball today podcast which (laughs) is kind of a grind it's kind of a grind it is a grind, but I enjoy it, and I'm looking forward to when we can actually do this over the course of a full season. This year, obviously, is very hectic, and it creates uh, very interesting talking points, and we get a lot of uh, great questions, and we'll talk about one of those things later on in the show today, a little bit of a strategy discussion on you know, how should we be handling some of these slow starters this season. I know you wrote an article about it recently, uh, but there's a lot to get to. So we probably shouldn't spend so much time on pleasantries, but why not? That's what we like to do here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Today on the show, Worryometer Wednesday. How about these guys? Got some random hitters to talk about. And we're going to recap as much of Tuesday's action as we possibly can. Let's get it started here, Susan. Oh my good goodness gracious. Scott, oh my goodness gracious, player of the night. Who do you got? Oh my goodness gracious player of the night. I am going to have to say uh I'm going to say Ross Stripling. Ross Stripling. Not in a good way. It was a bad start. He went 4 and 2 thirds innings. Two earned runs but six runs total and you know he gave up a grand slam to Manny Machado. So <laughs> it's one of those situations where they technically were unearned but there there was a you know, some bad pitching went along with that. Uh, and really, the thing about Ross Stripling is he hasn't had a great start since that first time through the rotation when he went seven innings against the Giants, you know, when he was in full view for everybody, and it was the most exciting pickup of the century. Like three uh, in- increasingly worse starts since then for Ross Stripling at a time when Dustin May has been performing well. Alex Wood on the road to recovery. Ross Stripling was a latecomer to the rotation at the start of the year. Uh, you know, I'm not dropping him based on this performance, but he, he hasn't looked as good as he has in years past, aside from that one start. And it's not just in terms of giving up runs and not pitching deep into games like the underlying stats don't look as good too in terms of swinging strikes, not getting as many ground balls. I'd be a little worried about him losing his job. And obviously if that happens, then we are probably dropping Ross Stripling. And he is prone to heading back to the bullpen. We've seen that before with the Dodgers. I was going to save him for worryometer a little bit later on, Scott, but let's fire it up early right now. Worryometer, where is it at on Ross Stripling considering the things that you mentioned, Alex Wood is rehabbing and Dustin May is pitching well. Seven. I'm going to go seven on that. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. There are legitimate worries here. Like I said, I'm not compelled to drop him right now because 
he could certainly turn around his performance if he sticks in the rotation, but he doesn't look right. His curveball doesn't seem as effective. And, you know, presuming the Dodgers still want Alex Wood in their rotation, he seems like the most obvious uh, player to bump. Well, we're rooting for you, Ross. Friend of the program. We had him on the, the podcast a couple of months ago while we were in quarantine. So we're rooting for him. Uh, had a 48% hard contact rate entering Tuesday night's start against the Padres. So uh, pay attention to Ross Stripling. For me, and this isn't you know entirely helpful for anybody, but we haven't talked about him, and I just want to give him a shout-out. Charlie Blackman, Chuck Nasty. Three for four with a double, an RBI, and a run scored on Tuesday night. He's played 17 games. He's had multiple hits in 12 of those. He is batting 500 on the season. So Charlie Blackman, you know, some people have asked, uh, should I be selling high on Charlie Blackman right now, Scott? And to that, you would say? Uh, you could try, but he's a top 10 outfielder. So, you know, you got to get at least a top 10 outfielders worth for him to be selling at face value, much less selling high. I don't know what selling high looks like on Charlie Blackman. It's, it should be incredibly high. Yeah. Look, I mean, you could try, you're right. I mean, if, if you need pitching help, if you ask for, you know, maybe a top 25 ish pitcher and, and another outfielder to replace him in return, like top 25 outfielder, top 25 pitcher, maybe that's something that it looks like I might try and shoot a little bit higher, but um, mm-hmm. I think you just kind of ride it out with Blackman unless you're kind of blown away in an offer. Uh, it's worth mentioning a lot of the, his games recently have come at home, but this is what Charlie Blackman's supposed to do at home, so we're not going to knock him for that. He's just performing. He's doing exactly what he's supposed to. Uh, basically the oh-my-goodness-gracious player of the season so far, Charlie Blackman. An honorable mention for the Philadelphia Phillies. If you have not seen this blown save for Hector Neris... Please watch it, and you should probably watch it with some Benny Hill music playing underneath it because they had a pop-up in the infield with the bases loaded in a two-run game with two outs, and just no one caught the ball, Scott. <laughs> and you wind up blowing the save for Hector Neris, and it was just it was very Luis Castillo-esque from, I don't know, a decade ago when it was uh, the Mets versus the Yankees, the Subway Series. That's what I was reminded of. Uh, but mm. honorable mention for the Phillies there. Some news and notes, Scott. Big news that just dropped before we started recording. I don't honestly, I don't know how big it is, but you'll tell us. You're the Atlanta Braves fan. Ronald Acuna didn't play Tuesday with a wrist injury. Apparently, he's going to get it examined on Wednesday in New York. The Braves are in New York to play the Yankees right now. Worryometer on Ronald Acuna's wrist, Scott. I will. I mean, can I go seven again? I guess. Sure. Why not? Like it. It's it's worrisome that he's having to travel somewhere and getting a get a, examined right that that would suggest it's more than just a little sore like day-to-day soreness now it, it's certainly possible it could get examined and oh this is nothing you'll be fine in a couple days like that that could happen that's not all over for ronald acuna here but it doesn't sound good that he's having to make that doctor's visit so we just have to wait and see what turns up Ramon Laureano, we were wondering what was going to happen with him uh, considering the the fiasco that he got into on Sunday. And he's been given a six-game suspension. He plans to appeal that. I believe he was in the lineup on Tuesday night against the Angels. Yes, he was. He was batting second. So he's in the lineup while he is appealing that suspension. Again, that is Ramon Laureano. Mike Clevenger and Zach Plesak were both placed on the restricted list for Cleveland. That was expected. The Pirates placed... Oh, my goodness. Right-hand pitcher, Joe Musgrove, on the 10-day IL with right triceps inflammation. Uh, he had previously been scratched from a start with ankle soreness. Now, I'm not wearing this shirt to uh, represent my guy, Joe Musgrove, right now. And I will, you know, I will hold myself accountable. I loved Musgrove coming into the season like I do every year. Every year he fools me. We were talking before the show started here, Scott, and I said, why don't I have more Dylan Bundy? I love Dylan mm. Bundy coming into the season. He was in my sleepers article. The yeah. problem was I kept taking Joe Musgrove over Dylan ah. Bundy. Ah, this guy, dumb. We need to bring back. We need to bring back the full Jew segment and just make Joe Musgrove a permanent entry there because it keeps happening. And like that was my whole case against Joe Musgrove coming right. in. Is are we going to do this again? And you guys kind of talked me into liking him because that's all I had. But uh, I guess I was right. 
I, you know what's funny about Dylan Bundy, who of course is dominating again this time the athletics he's almost through seven has nine strikeouts yet to allow a run you know with each start like this it's it's uh becoming more clear that this is a genuine breakout for him but like he was the he was the breakout pick I spoke up for, but maybe deep down didn't actually believe because I only have one share of Dylan Bundy. And, you know, part of it was because I was filling up my rotation so early in drafts. And, you know, that's that's going pretty well for me so far. So I guess I can't complain too much, but I do wish I had more Dylan Bundy. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure everyone <laughs> does. Uh, he's almost through seven innings right now. Seven shutout with nine strikeouts once again. Uh, that is Dylan Bundy. You know, I was looking through the soundboard over here to figure out what I can use for Joe Musgrove, if anything. I'll, I'll just, this is how he makes me feel. Uh. And that's not a good Heath sigh either. Shout out to Heath Cummings. Uh, some other news that we got. Tim Anderson was activated from the 10-day IL on Tuesday. He was dealing with a groin strain. Blue Jays general manager Ross Atkins said... Ken Giles, who is dealing with a forearm injury, is, quote, recovering well and could be throwing soon. That is especially noteworthy considering Anthony Bass blew the save on Tuesday. He allowed a three-run homer to Francisco Cervelli. What's dead may never die. Uh, <laughs> didn't, didn't get to it last night because it happened after we recorded, but Kirby Yates was not used in a save situation because of, quote, general body soreness. Drew Pomeranz now has three saves. He is 44% rostered. Scott, how, is, how imperative is it to get Drew Pomeranz on your team? I would say he's probably more of a Roto play as of now. Yeah, Roto categories leagues. I know he's rostered in any Roto league I'm a part of. And look, I don't think he's the closer now. I don't know what general body soreness means exactly because it's general, you know? So um, I, I don't think Yates is like not the closer anymore, but Pomeranz has already snuck in and gotten three saves. And beyond that, like he's just look back what he did in relief for the Brewers that earned him that multi-year deal from the Padres, like dominant ratios. And he's off to that kind of start this year. So he, I just like having him in my Roto lineup, particularly at a time when, such a large percentage of the starting pitcher pool isn't going the minimum number of innings for a win anyway. You know, just to fill in those back spots in your your roto lineup, I think Pomeranz is a is a nice choice. Another one for Dylan Bundy. Ten strikeouts, double digits again. Moving on up. Keep moving him up the rankings, Scott. John Carlos Stanton is expected to miss three to four weeks. We knew he was going to miss some time. We didn't necessarily know what the timetable was, but three to four weeks. Even on the shorter end of that, he won't be back until September 1st. Uh, Scott, if you don't have IL spots, are you dropping Stanton? Um, yeah, maybe. I mean, it's not outside the realm of possibility if you don't have IL spots. You'd rather not, of course, but, you know, it depends what you need. Someone you were excited about entering this season, um, Jordan Alvarez, in his first 15 plate appearances in three intra-squad games with the Houston Astros. He is 6-for-10 with three doubles, one homer, and five walks. So hopefully we can get Alvarez back for the start of next week. That would be great. Some lineup notes. Uh, a lot of big names on this list, but Garrett Hampson was leading off this time, Scott against a right-handed pitcher in Zach Gallen Tuesday night. So, you know, we said yesterday it's been five straight games against lefties, but given the struggles of David Dahl, uh, Garrett Hampson leads off here. So something you do like to see. You're excited about that. Yeah, and he has a double and triple on the day. His OBP for the year is up to 350. He actually has a pretty good OBP ceiling. Obviously, we didn't see it in his rookie season because he didn't do anything in his rookie season until the last two weeks of the year. But, you know, I <laughs> there's a contingent of the fantasy baseball playing world that gets excited whenever Garrett Hampson does something or is moved into a more prominent role. And then there's another contingent that's like, who cares? He stinks. Like, I don't know how we could know whether or not he stinks yet. You know, he had a rookie season where he played sporadically and coming into last year, he was, I know Baseball America had him as the Rockies' number two prospect. So it's not like this guy has no talent. Uh, you know, the, uh, how much of a power profile is there, I think is fair to ask. But he should get on base. If he's at his best, he should get on base. He should steal bases. And 
hopefully this is the start of him playing a lot more. And you know, if 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 he performs, I don't see I don't see why he couldn't just become the Rockies' leadoff hitter, which you know has been a spot where Charlie Blackman's been scoring 115 runs with consistency. Yeah, he's a winner from tonight for sure. I mean, the fact that he started against a righty, had two hits. Uh, I agree with you on the profile. I think good batting average, speed, a lot of what we saw from him in the minor leagues uh, just has to be given the opportunity to play. Corey Seager was still out with a back injury. George Springer still out with the wrist. Uh, Rafael Devers sat out for a stra- second straight game with ankle soreness. Uh, Mike Ford was in at DH for the Yankees against right-handed pitcher Tuki Toussaint. Uh, two hits for Mike Ford on Tuesday, Scott. Should he be owned anywhere outside of you know deeper roto leagues with corner infield? I feel like they're just going to mix and match. Like We'll probably see Clint Frazier against lefties, Ford against righties, yeah. some Talkman mixed in as well. Yeah, I don't know with what consistency Ford is going to be the DH now with Stanton out. It's been twice he's started now. I like the hitter profile. I mean, strong minor league track record. One of these guys who spent a long time in the minors in his late 20s already. But when he came up for the Yankees when Luke Voigt was having health issues in the second half last year, he produced uh, his his batted ball profile was amazing. So, like, I, I'm definitely keeping an eye on Mike Ford, but after two starts, I'm not ready to declare that the job is his. Jose Abreu, who left with a hip injury on Monday night, was back in the lineup already on Tuesday. Edwin Encarnacion was dealing with a shoulder injury. He returned to action and homered, actually. Uh, and Joe Adele was out of the lineup. Scott, what have you thought about Joe Adele so far to this point? been pretty yucky it's yeah. been pretty yucky i was i went against my own kind of standard line whenever a top prospect get called up saying yeah i'm not i'm not so excited about this one because i don't i don't think we have a lot of evidence that he's ready and there have been some defensive issues he's struck out a ton you know it's it's too early to declare a verdict because everybody can have a bad week. Maybe it just happens to be your first week in the majors. But I wonder if the Angels right now are wondering if, if they called him up too soon. Yeah, I, th- I think we were, I was at least kind of surprised that they called him up when they did. I, I thought that he did need more seasoning. Uh, he has 19 plate appearances so far, and he has struck out in 11 of those with zero walks. So that is a. 59 per, a 59% strikeout rate for anyone uh, calculating the strikeouts there uh, for Joe Adele. He did have two hits in uh, Monday night's game, but wasn't in the lineup on Tuesday. And a little bit of what you spoke about there, Scott, is we're dealing with such, such small sample sizes at this point in the season. We're going to get into Worryometer, but first I feel like we should kind of transition into it with a fantasy philosophy discussion for this season at large talking about slow starts and how they should be handled. And I know you wrote an article about this, Scott, uh, which included 46 players who are underperforming thus far. Hitters, specifically. Hitters, 46 hitters. Uh, You know, what do you say to somebody who started their draft with, let's say, Cody Bellinger, Anthony Rendon, who has now homered in back-to-back days, uh, and Glaber Torres? Because that that wasn't like a far-fetched start, and, and all three of those guys are, you know, underperforming to this point. Yeah, I say you just got to write it out. I mean, there's no... I'm, tr- I'm trying to think. This is a very big topic to bite off, and I'm trying to think of the best way to jump into it because there is no reason to believe those players are any less than what you drafted them to be just because they've had a bad two-week stretch here at the start of the season. There's, there's no reason to believe that, even if they were striking out a ton, which in the case of those three, that's not even happening. But even if they were, I mean, that's something that can happen over a very small sample size too. And it is a small sample size. Like regression doesn't understand that this is a shorter season. I understand the season is already a quarter over. And so you're thinking, wow, these guys got to get it going sooner. My, my season's going to be sunk, but that's not, how regression works it's never good process to chase last week's production it's good process to look at okay 
who are the best hitters going forward. Those are the ones that I can expect to perform the best. And, you know, we're, we may be seeing it now with Rendon homering in back-to-back games. We've seen it from Matt Chapman who has four home runs in his last three games, right? Before that, he was batting under 200 with an OPS around 600. Oh, what's wrong with Matt Chapman? Well, clearly nothing's wrong with Matt Chapman. That's just production comes in spurts, and you can't predict exactly when it's going to arrive. You can be pretty sure, though, that you're lowering your team's upside, though, if you deal it away for, you know, nickels on the dollar. So this was obviously a talking point coming into this season. How quickly are you going to move on from slow starting studs? Uh, And I didn't really know how I would respond to it then. But I think now that we're in the thick of it, it's like, it's pretty clear to me that the process shouldn't change. It shouldn't. Some of the other players, too, it's it's not just Rendon. I mean, we're seeing this kind of, you know, league-wide. Trey Turner, a modest four-game hitting streak, back-to-back multi-hit games, and a home run in each of the past two days. Still has no steals, which is, you know, somewhat worrisome. But Eddie Rosario uh, had, had two homer, a double dong on Tuesday night, three homers in his last two. Manny Machado hit a grand slam. He has six hits over his last four games. Uh, so, you know, these guys are coming around. Like, hitters are going to come around. Yeah, a lot of those on the list of 46, like it already looks outdated that I have them in this struggling hitter section just in one day, you know? But if I'm playing devil's advocate, can I just ask if we should change the process in a different season that we've ever seen before? Because I agree with you, this should be the process in a 162-game season because I think there's enough time for the stats to normalize the way that they're supposed to. But every single year in fantasy baseball, Scott, there are going to be busts, right? And we don't mm-hmm. know that until the end of a 162-game season. And, like, for example, look at what Jose Ramirez did in the first two or three months last season. If that was just his season this year, he would be an epic failure. So, right. I mean, what happens if we look back at the end of the season and Pete Alonso hit 220 with seven homers, right? Like, is it worth changing the process just for this shortened season you know, if you if, before you dig yourself too much of a hole, because this is something I'm wrestling with myself. We don't have the luxury of looking back at the season, whether it's 60 games or 162 games, until the season is over is the thing. So right. to look at it 15 games in and say, okay, clearly this guy's a sunk cost. I just need to to rid myself of him. Like game 16 could be the game where he starts performing like himself. Like if you believe in the skill set still, there's no reason for you to believe the actual skills have declined for the player. And, you know, certainly depending on the level of investment, the amount of upside, the track record, there, there would be a sliding scale there in terms of uh, how I'm looking at the skills for the player. But if you believe in the skill set, then the day he turns it around could always be tomorrow. So, 15 games in, it could be game 16. 30 games in, it could be game 31. And like to, to, to just decide it's not going to happen for this guy this year and accept lesser, a lesser player who happens to have performed better up to that point. Uh, I mean, you're, you're all, you're, you don't get credit for what that lesser player already did to that point. You're just getting right. credit for what he does going forward. And if he's a lesser player, it's probably going to be lesser than what the better player gives you. So if like, if you have it, and, and, and first of all, I think it's too early for, unless you're just totally buried in the standings, which, you know, I, I don't even think it's so possible that you couldn't climb out of that uh, even at this point in the season. But, you know, let's say it eventually does get to a point where, like you have to make something happen in order to save your season. I think the way to go about that would be to buy other teams underperforming superstars than to trade your underperforming superstar for relative scrubs. Like get somebody else's discounted players, you knowing that more likely than not, the best players are going to be the best players from tomorrow on. And then if you if you're just able to increase the overall talent level of your roster, improve the 
the potential bottom line of your roster, that's how you can make up ground in the standings. So that would be the way to do it as opposed to, um, you know, dumping Cody Bellinger because he's hitting under 200 right now. And that's probably the best explanation that I've heard thus far, Scott, is that you should you should trade for other, other underperforming superstars uh, in baseball right now. Because, you know, if you trade for guys that have been hot to this point, you know, let's say uh, Dylan Moore, someone we're going to talk about. Not I, You're not trading for Dylan Moore, but it's just an example, right? Like his numbers are going to negatively regress and then you're going to be left with those numbers. More than likely, his numbers are going to negatively re- regress. And if you sold someone short, then you're not going to you know, cash in on what that person is going to give you. So uh, I agree with you. Uh, is there, with that being said, is there any player that has been drafted, that was being drafted early on, that you do have any worry about as we transition into worryometer here now? So the way I broke down the 46 in this column, I put them in five five categories. Presumed foolproof, which are the least worrisome. One-hit wonders, question mark, which are guys like Josh Bell and Mitch Garver, who, you know, you could have made the case coming into the year there were one-hit wonders. Extenuating circumstances, which would include injury cases and mechanical change guys and wondering how much that might be impacting the performance. Astros, LOL, which is self-explanatory. And pre-existing concerns, which are the players who tended to go high, but I didn't have a lot of faith in them in the first place. And that would be the group, that last group, pre-existing concerns, where it'd be most likely to to drop already. Though, you know, that's not universally true for all of them. So uh, I would, the presumed foolproof, which includes guys like Nolan Arenado, Anthony Rendon, J.D. Martinez, like established studs, basically no worries at all. For me, the one who might give me some concern is Gary Sanchez because he's striking out like half the time. But even that's something that can be skewed by a small sample size. So, uh, you know, and the fact that he's a catcher and there's not much production out there anyway, that makes it easier to uh, stick with him. Some of the one hit wonders are at least, I'm at least starting to get a little worried about them. And like the strikeout rate is the main thing I look at there. Mitch Garver, uh, after getting two days off, he comes back and strikes out three times again today. He is just, he just seems lost at the plate. And, you know, even, even if deep down he is actually as good as he showed last year, or at least some fraction of that, if it takes him half the season to get around to that, you know, it, it might be hard given his lack of track record to stick with him all that time. Uh, I, yeah, I, I could understand benching him if you have the ability to start two catchers. That's somebody who's a little concerning to me right now. Uh, Marcus Simeon, same thing. Like not striking out was a big key to his success last year, and he's been striking out a lot this year. And of course, he doesn't have a long track record as a stud. It's been pretty marginal fantasy player for most of his career. So I moved him down in my rest of season shortstop rankings to behind a very large group of of studs behind like Corey Seager and Carlos Correa and Manny Machado. He's at the end of that group now, but still not a situation where I'd look to dump him for whatever I could get or drop him. Probably not even sending him, frankly. Uh, Miguel Sano is always concerned just because it's it's such a volatile profile to begin with. Um those would probably be the biggest ones. The name that I was going to bring up, Scott, was Cody Bellinger, which look, okay. everyone's talking about right now. And even if it's on, if we're just going on the worryometer, I would probably pace, place it at a three or a four. Like it's not mm-hmm. super worrisome, but it is at least on my radar because he changed his swing right before the season started. And then I read just the other day that he's going back to his swing from last year. His ball data at this point, Small sample size. He is, you know, hitting a lot of ground balls and his hard contact is much lower than where it was at last season. So the fact that he's kind of been tinkering with his swing, it it is an extenuating circumstance, but it is at least something that is at least a little bit worrisome for me, Scott. Yeah, that would be the one reason to worry about Bellinger if there was one. He's making a lot of contact. So... I don't know. I'm not that worried. I'd, I'd, if anybody was looking to sell him now, I would absolutely be a buyer. And I would not be freaking out if I owned Bellinger. Uh, a good way to look at this too 
is if you do have Bellinger, you have any of these other 46 hitters, Josh Bell, uh, you know, Eugenio Suarez, and you're not buried in your league standings. You're you're in the upper half of your league standings. You should feel like, good about it. Yeah. 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 That that's how I'm as somebody who's highly invested in Josh Bell and Marcus Simeon and Mitch Garver, frankly. I'm I'm highly invested in I mean it's 46 players, so everybody has a decent amount of investment in them. But like that's how I'm looking at it. Like, wow, I haven't even gotten much of anything from this player I made a huge investment in. And and look, I'm still right there in contention. So, you know, consider that also. It's, it's, you don't, you're, there's never going to be a point in any season where every one of your players is firing on all cylinders. Like there, there are always going to be some players in that lineup that are struggling and you just stick with them. It's always amplified at the start of the season and it's especially amplified at the start of this season, but it doesn't change the way it doesn't change the way a season plays out for a player. It doesn't change the way regression works. All right, so let's actually calibrate this worryometer and hit a few players here. Glaber Torres entering Tuesday night was batting 157. The strikeouts aren't an issue. The ground ball rate is up about 5%. Nothing looks too crazy, honestly, Scott. Where are you at on Glaber Torres? Yeah, the profile looks pretty much like it always looks. So it's it's basically zero from he might be the least. Well, that's not true. He's not the least worrisome of these 46 players, but he's among the least worrisome. I would agree with that. Josh Bell batting 211 entering Tuesday night. Uh, 30% strikeout rate. That is up 11%. He is chasing more. This season swinging strike rate is up about 8%. Uh, still making hard contact about 50% of the time. So that's really good. You like that. There's a chance he's putting too much pressure on himself. It's not a great lineup. Josh Bell, 1-10, to 10, Scott. It would be among the higher of the high-end players, and yet I'm still putting it at only a four. I'm not panicking. I haven't thought about replacing him in any of the lineups where I have him, but he is striking out a lot more than we saw from him last year. Frankly, strikeouts were never that much of a problem for him, I don't think, uh, even before last year's breakout. And, you know, it you, you could have made a case he was a one-hit wonder. So that that raises the concern like a point each. I'm going to lower it to a three. Let's say three. I like the four call. I was going to say four or five for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We got a few submissions via email. This one's from Chris, not Towers, by the way. Maybe it's Towers. Maybe he has a... There are a lot of Chris's out there. Yeah, maybe he has a burner email account that he just sends Mm -hmm. questions in. (laughs) What's your concern for Vlad Guerrero Jr., but a tweak here, Scott, in Dynasty? Chris acknowledges it's still very early in his career, but wondering if he should try and cash in on the name value of Vlad and his minor league production. Vlad Guerrero to this point has played 136 games in the majors. He has a 736 OPS, Scott. Your worryometer for Vlad Jr. in a dynasty league. That's a very interesting spin on it because I didn't like Vladimir Guerrero coming into this season. He was on my bust list. He's among these 46 hitters. He's in the pre-existing concern section where I don't think it's so crazy to at least think about dropping them. Though obviously he'd be one I'd more likely hold on to. But yeah, the the dynasty angle, you know, the underlying assumption, and I'm sure I've even said it before, is oh, of course he has a bright future. He's gonna be a stud for a long time. This is just about 2020. Um very young man who already seems to have conditioning issues and they had to move him off third base. 21 years old. Yeah, I um you don't want to sell low on him. That's the thing. Like right. if you can, I, I would, I would consider offers for him in a dynasty league. Sure. I would. That's why but, I think you're kind of at a crossroad here, right? With Vlad jr. In a dynasty league, because say he just never turns out to be the player that he is. Then I think what Chris is getting at here is that he just wants to cash in on that name value. And now's the mm-hmm. opportunity because if he continues to underperform what we expected, then his value just diminishes by the day in a dynasty league. But he can also go the other route where, you know, he becomes this Miguel Cabrera type superstar that we all thought he was going to be. And, and I still think, I still think the superstar outcome is more likely, which is why like you can't, you can't sell him short. And I, I just worry if you market him now in a dynasty league, when he's off to a bad start, people are thinking you're panicking and they're going to try lowballing you. And you just have to have the discipline to know that you're, you can't accept that. 
Uh, I'd be a little more stealth-like about shopping him. Probably not send out an on-the-block update. Probably uh, try making offers where it's not all about him, so it's not so uh, transparent that what you're trying to do is move Vladimir Guerrero. But like I, this would pro- this would probably be the kind of trade I couldn't I would not be able to pull off in a dynasty league because I just would not be satisfied with the offers I was getting. But I don't think it's a bad idea to at least market Guerrero and see what you could get. Where is market he? him? Market him as if he's the best prospect in baseball. That's which that's the kind of return you should expect to get for Vladimir Guerrero. That's what would make it worth your while. One to ten, Worryometer in dynasty and dynasty. Uh, four. I was thinking four. That's the magic number. Four as well. This one's from Trevor. He asks about Miguel Sano, who is a name that you brought up. Uh, Sano was hitting 111 with three homers. Wait for it. A 49% strikeout rate. Where is he on the worryometer so far this season, Scott? Uh, so it's, hang on. I can't find, who was it? I'm sorry. Miguel Sano. I was trying to be. Um, yeah, Miguel Sano is striking out like half the time, right? And like I said just a minute ago, it's such a volatile profile. You can never feel that confident. You know what you're getting from him one year to the next. And like he could hit three home runs tomorrow too. Uh, but I'd put it at like a six. Would you drop him for Jesus Aguilar? No. It's close though. <laughs> I feel I feel like it's... I'm kind of excited about Jesus Aguilar, but uh, yeah, 6-7 I think is fair for Miguel Sano. I wouldn't make the swap yet, but it is a close one. This one's from Angel. David Dahl, who is no longer hitting leadoff against right-handed pitching, was batting 226 with just three extra base hits. He's hitting the ball in the air more, but his average exit velocity and his hard contact are down quite a bit. David Dahl, 1-10, to Scott. I'll put him at like a 5, and... Part of that's because I still don't really know who he is as a hitter. Uh, he's he's missed so much time with injury over the years, and last year Coors Field definitely helped mask his deficiencies. I I still don't know if he's good, frankly, in the first place. So that yeah, I mean, I think if he gets a full season everyday bats with Coors Field as his home, the numbers in the end are going to be fine. But the Rockies, as much as they like to move around players, do they shy away from them at some point? That would that's contributing to the concern level here for Dahl with me. Would you drop him for either Alex Verdugo or Brian Anderson? No, though Verdugo's creeping up close to that same range where I have Dahl in my rankings. I have them back to back in my ranks. And I'm okay making that swap. I'm okay dropping David Dahl for Verdugo. And I'll I'll actually update my rankings to reflect that. I'll put Verdugo ahead of David Dahl. But they're close enough where Verdugo is actually performing right now. And he has prospect pedigree. So I don't have any problem with that. The last one's from George. Carson Kelly was batting 156 with a 60% ground ball rate entering Tuesday night. He has started... Uh, just three of the last five games for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Of course, he hit a home run off of uh, Kyle Freeland in Coors Field in their game on Tuesday. Uh, where are you at on Carson Kelly, Scott? Yeah, that's probably that's probably like a six for me. Part of it's because they have other directions they could go at catcher, especially with uh, Dalton Varsho. Dalton Varsho is still up, right? He hasn't gotten a start at catcher yet. He did get a start in the outfield. And and of course, Stephen Vogt, it's a pretty good bat that they could put behind the plate. So that's part of it. And, you know, the other part of it is I was redoing my catcher rankings rest of season today, and I couldn't get Carson Kelly out of my top 12 just because there's not enough who deserve to enter that range like am i going to take pedro severino over him <laughs> no i would take no. travis darno over him though scott i, I thought know. about that i moved darno yeah. up quite a bit but i uh I, I would make that swap i don't think the i don't think it's going to be a huge playing time advantage for darno over kelly and i still i still like the bat skills for kelly more would you I drop not... him for uh wilson ramos that was a question george had yeah I would make that yeah, Wilson Ramos is yeah. one I absolutely have ahead of Kelly. 
Yeah, I'm all right making that. Uh, promote a few things here on the show uh, to celebrate fantasy football draft season. We've brought it up before, but again, take advantage. Our friends over at Fantasy Football Today, our buddy Adam Azer, Jamie Eisenberg, Heath Cummings, Dave Richard, Ben Gretsch, all the guys over there are giving away a 75-inch and a 55-inch TV. The contest is completely free to enter. Go to cbssports.com slash giveaway. And if you enjoy fantasy baseball today, the show here, FBT, we ask that you just tell one person. You don't have to tell the whole world. Just tell one person. Uh, it could be your wife, a coworker, friend, whoever it might be. We appreciate it. All right, when we come back, we will hit uh, some of these. How about these guys, you know? Some, some random hitters, guys that we need to talk about. And, of course, we will recap Tuesday's action here on Fantasy Baseball Today. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on Homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Hey, Scott, are these guys good? We're about to find out. Email of the day from David. And that was exactly his questions. Are these players good or are they just hot? We have a murderer's row here, Scott, involving Dylan Moore, Austin Slater, Hanser Alberto, Kyle Seeger. And David actually didn't ask about this player, Jesse Winker, but I wanted to throw him in the mix since he's hot right now as well. So we'll just start things off with uh, Dylan Moore, who has been like a journeyman utility player, has not really done much so far in his career. He's batting 333 with four homers, three steals, 11 runs, nine RBI. He's rostered in 33% of CBS leagues, has dual eligibility, outfield and shortstop, has started seven of the last eight games for the Mariners. His teammate Kyle Seager had this to say about Moore. He's very athletic, but extremely strong. I know he's made some swing adjustments and coaches are working with him, but the ball comes off his bat hard and it is loud. His ability to drive the ball, especially to the opposite field, is impressive. That's also a testament to how athletic and how strong he is. He does hit the ball hard, Scott. 56.7% hard contact rate for Dylan Moore. What is your interest level in him? I don't know what to make of this (laughs) because... It's so out of nowhere. It's so out of nowhere. He has hit the ball very hard this year. Yes. To say he does hit the ball very hard, I don't know. I mean, this is the opposite side of the coin, right? With some of those slow starters. It's easier to take an optimistic stance with an out of nowhere player like this than a pessimistic stance with somebody you paid heavily for because there's really not much downside to... to, uh, you know, putting your faith in more as long as you're not dropping somebody you obviously sent a drop for him. If it doesn't work out, you move on. He's running a lot in addition to hitting the ball really hard. And that, I, I mean, that could make him useful too. Um, I don't know. I haven't bothered to pick up more anywhere. It'd have to be a pretty deep league for me personally. Like, I'm kind of more interested in Jake Cronenworth of the Padres. Did he start at getting in second base today? Cause he was filling in for Hosmer at first, but then he got to start second when Hosmer came back and yeah, he was back at second base, had two more hits like that's, 
I feel like the talent level is, uh, you know, there's more pedigree there for Cronenworth, and he's been hitting the ball very hard too. Uh, so if I was choosing between kind of obscure infield options like that, I'd go Cronenworth over more. But yeah, let's keep an eye on more. Yeah, I picked more up in a 12-team Roto League that we play in together, Scott. I think I dropped J.P. Crawford for him, who's kind of slowed down a little bit. Uh, but, I mean, with dual eligibility, you could use him at middle infield, fifth outfielder. Look, it might be over by the end of the week. He might just completely, you know, come back to earth. But I'm willing to take a flyer in Roto Leagues, at least, just to see uh, what's there with Dylan Moore. Austin Slater is another interesting player. And he's someone that I've kind of always been interested in. Uh, entering Tuesday, he was batting 333 with three home runs. He actually stole his fifth base of the season on Tuesday. Uh, he has a 34% line drive rate. And what always attracted me to him was his batting average in the minors. Career 312 hitter with an 858 OPS. He's always hit a lot of line drives. And now he's getting the opportunity to play every day. Six straight starts for Austin Slater. He's rostered in 8% of leagues, Scott. Yeah, very strong minor league track record overall. I've in in deep leagues, I've kind of flirted with him in the past too. Um, the fact he has five steals already, I mean, that alone makes him somebody you have to pay attention to in roto leagues, right? If he's going to continue to play this consistently, and then you know, whatever he provides with the bat is almost a bonus. Now, he never was a big base stealer in the minors. Um no, he never had a double-digit steals total in any singular season. But then again, some of the most recent seasons, like it was 200 at-bats here, 200 at-bats there. So, I mean, he can run a little. But the fact that he's doing it at the major league level is, uh, I think, noteworthy. And I'm more excited about him than more personally, if only for that steals potential. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if the bat is as good as it was in the minors, then Slater might be pretty big surprise this year. I'm more willing to say that Austin Slater is good versus Dylan Moore. Like if we're just kind of comparing the two, like I'm more willing to say, you know, the question was, are these guys good or are they just hot? Dylan Moore is more likely hot. Uh, Austin Slater might actually be good. Hanser Alberto. I mean, he kind of just is who he is. He makes a lot of contact. And he's a top five second baseman in head-to-head points leagues right now, Scott. What what do you do with Hanser Alberto, if anything? He's 68% rostered, so someone's picking him up. Yeah. Uh, he hit like he hit 305 last year with 12 homers. He wasn't useless. It's just that's really his only skill. And he's been you know, obviously the batting average he has right now is not one he can sustain for a full season, but he will be a good batting average guy. It's just that batting average specialist is not a profile that plays in such a power laden environment. It's more like a, it's more like a specialist, a guy you ride when he's hot, a guy you pick up in larger roto leagues if you need help in that one category. And I wouldn't look any deeper into it than that. Yeah. I don't think he's hot. I think it's kind of is who he is. He can be a batting average player. Like he's good. Yeah, he's not gonna hit three sixty five for he, the or yeah. three forty eight is what he's at right now. Like he's not that good of a batting average player. He's good, but he's like barely good. If we're, if we're just talking about the spectrum right now, uh, Kyle Seager. Would you like to guess who the uh, top scoring third baseman in head to head points leagues is, Scott? It's Kyle Seager. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it is. He is batting two ninety seven with three homers, eighteen RBI, which is tied for second in all of baseball. Two steals. Uh, he's rostered everywhere already, so I guess, you know, for people who own him, they're just trying to figure out, you know, if this is real or not. The strikeout rate is down tremendously, and, he, and he's performing well against lefties so far this season. You know, would you start him over someone like Miguel Sano or Eduardo Escobar, who you very clearly drafted ahead of Kyle Seager? Is this one of those situations where you can actually ride the hot hand with Kyle Seager over those guys? <laughs> I wonder if something's really changed for Kyle Seager because, you know, back before the home run explosion in baseball, he was basically a must-start third baseman in fantasy. And then maybe he got a little too home run conscious. His fly ball, well, the fly ball rate was always high for him, but in a way that seemed maybe to be to his detriment. And now he's not hitting as many fly balls this year. Like he's always been a good contact hitter. Maybe that's better for his profile. And maybe he will be somebody who remains mixed league relevant. I think I think uh, 
players who had question marks coming into the season, like Sano and Escobar, and are struggling that much already, I don't mind playing the hot hand in Seager over them, especially since I don't think he's a total scrub himself. But in the long run, I would still rank him third of that group. And he is... He performed well dating back to last year in the second half. So in the, in the second yeah. half last season, in just 68 games, he had 17 home runs with, uh, with an 863 OPS. So we now have a decent sample size dating back to the All-Star break last year of Kyle Seager performing well. So he's probably the most legit of this group just because you know he has more of a track record. Uh, Jesse Winker is someone we've always kind of hoped would have a track record at this point. Four multi-hit games in his last five, Scott. Back-to-back games with a home run. He's basically playing every day. He's playing against lefties now, too, which, you, you know, you like to see that as a, as a Jesse Winker owner. Uh, and he's rostered in just, he's less than 30% of leagues. So, where are you at with Jesse Winker? I'm still a little skeptical there. He's... You know, he's walking a lot like he always does. Um, strikeouts have been up a little bit. And he's hitting a ton of ground balls. So, you know, the line drives are there. But, like, it's such a small sample. Like, I, I'm almost afraid to break down this batted ball data because if the overall numbers look good, of course that's going to look good over such a small sample, I feel like. So, um. Yeah, I mean, if he keeps playing every day, I could absolutely see him being mixed league relevant. Of course, I've liked him in the past. He was one of my favorite players heading into last year and let me down in a pretty big way, which may be why is why I'm wishy-washy with him now. But uh, yeah, let's let's see if he keeps playing. Let's see if he keeps performing. There's there is some there is some bat skills. There are some bat skills there for sure. Maybe that's something you could teach me, Scott. That you know, if a player has let you down before. Maybe you become a little wishy-washy on him, you know? Because it seems that I have not learned from my mistakes when it comes to Joe Musgrove, of (laughs) course. If I'm ranking these five players right now, Scott, I would go Kyle Seager, Jesse Winker, Austin Slater, Dylan Moore, Hanser Alberto. What do you think? In terms of how much I want to roster them, I would put Winker lower. Like the thing is, like I'm sure Alberto is going to be useful. I'm certain of it. But at this stage of the season, in a standard mixed league where there's always an ample waiver wire, I want to, I want to go for the upside where it presents itself. And I don't think there's upside there for Alberto. I'm skeptical of what Winker's ceiling looks like too. I'd rather take the mystery boxes. Uh, I do agree, Kyle Seeger's first, but I would probably go Slater second, and I'd probably go Moore third, Dylan Moore. Okay. Yeah, I'm just excited about the opportunity to play every day for Winker and really good lineup and, and great ballpark as well. So hopefully he can finally make something out of it, but uh, we shall see. Scott, a little more wishy-washy on Jesse Winker. Uh, Tuesday standouts. Kind of run through some of these, Scott. And you know some of the big names, some of the studs. Max Scherzer returned from injury. Uh, six innings of one-run ball, seven strikeouts. Not much to see there. He was just kind of standard... Max Scherzer, uh, Hyunjin Ryu, six innings of one-run ball, seven strikeouts, 12 swinging strikes on 92 pitches in the new home of the Blue Jays in Buffalo. So not much affected him there. Luis Castillo, we keep you know banging this drum for Luis Castillo as, as a buy low. Six innings, seven hits, three runs, only one of those were earned. Two walks, five strikeouts. Scott, I'm starting to think that the Royals are just not as good of a matchup as we thought coming into the season. They're top 12 in runs scored in Woba. Small sample size, but I think that the Royals lineup is actually sneaky good. So, again, I give Luis Castillo a pass, but Uh I feel like we kind of say this for every one of his starts. I mean, this was a quality start. Yeah, it was a good, it was a fine start. I guess I was just expecting more. He didn't get the whiffs that we've been seeing in the other starts. But, you know, I'm sure the overall whiff rate for the season is still one of the best in the league, if not the best. Who has the best swinging strike rate? Not sure. It was him entering this start. Yeah, yeah. So it would be up there still. Um, I actually moved him up in my rankings today because 
I like what I'm seeing underneath the stat line so much for Luis Castillo. Uh, I have some concerns about like Patrick Corbin, for instance, his velocity being down and not getting as many whiffs because of it. Jack Flaherty, I don't know what he's going to, what what kind of workload he's going to be capable of when he's whenever he's able to pitch again. Mike Clevenger has had control issues. So I, I moved, I was happy to move Luis Castillo ahead of all of them. And he's in, in my top 10 pitchers now. So this is not, I am not like raising the alarm for Castillo at this point. I'm doing just the opposite. Yeah, that's fair. Um, in, in Coors Field in Colorado tonight, it wound up being a slugfest, the final score, 8-7. But the starting pitchers were quite good. Zach Allen, apologies to the gentleman who asked me on Twitter if you should start Zach Allen because I told you not to, and I believe Scott told you to start him. So listen to Scott, obviously. That's why if he's it was here. the same guy. He's been doing this forever. <laughs> uh, but Zach Gallen, seven innings, two runs, zero walks, seven strikeouts, 12 swinging strikes on 94 pitches, three straight quality starts, 22 strikeouts to just two walks over the last three starts for Zach Gallen. Scared money don't make money. Uh, I think he has entered must-start territory, Scott. And on the other side in that game, Kyle Freeland, who this is now four straight quality starts to open the season. Seven innings, two runs, two strikeouts. He's not going to give you strikeouts, but he has completely changed his pitch mix. Lowered his, He's lowered his fastball usage 20%, opting for more sliders, curves, and change-ups, which I know is something that you've noticed regarding his change-up for Kyle Freeland. Yeah, and he talked about how it's something he's always been working on, but he finally has confidence in it this year, and he's throwing it a lot more. It's still, it's still a, it's still a profile that relies on weak contact, and we've seen Freeland navigate a whole season at Coors Field. Like he, he has one of the best seasons for any pitcher in Rockies history two years ago, but that profile is always risky, and especially in that environment, and. You know, it came crashing down for him pretty hard last year. So I'm reluctant to buy into him again. Like, I wasn't believing in him two years ago when he was having success, and I'm not now either. It's gone well for him so far. We'll, we'll see if it lasts. The jury is still out for this group. John Lester, three starts so far this season. He has allowed two earned runs total. Six innings, one run, four strikeouts on Tuesday against Cleveland. Brandon Belak against the Giants. We recommended him as a streamer. Five innings, two runs, four strikeouts. He was fine. He wasn't great. He was fine. Uh, Tuki Toussaint, four innings, six runs. Five of those were earned. Only one walk, which is probably the biggest takeaway. Three strikeouts. Jordan Montgomery on the other side in that game. Quality start, six innings, three runs, four strikeouts. Uh, out of this group, Scott, John Lester, Brandon Belak, Tuki Toussaint, Jordan Montgomery. Who interests you the most? It's... It's Montgomery. It's Montgomery. He was the one highest rank coming in, and it was a quality start. It would have been better if he hadn't allowed a home run. Uh, the velo is still up for him. It's up to 92 miles per hour this year on the fastball. Yeah, and he's, he, his pitch mix has been interesting, too, because he relied so much as a, at, on his curveball as a rookie when we last saw him before Tommy John surgery, and now it's a lot more change-ups, and I'm still I'm not really sure how that's going to play out, but look, Really efficient six innings through just 78 pitches. Definitely somebody who's worth rostering. But I do want to speak up for Tuki Toussaint because I I did watch this performance. Obviously, the final line doesn't look great. The stuff was still awfully impressive. And he had only one walk, as you mentioned. He threw like 63% of his pitches for strikes. It was only five base runners in four innings. And, you know... There were a couple errors committed that got him into jams. Um, there was just some kind of weird sloppy stuff that happened that kind of, I, I think, impacted the stat line for him. And obviously the Yankees, tough matchup. Your expectations were low anyway. I'm not, if I if I won the bidding war for Tuki Tucson after his last start, I'm not giving him up based on this one. Uh, John Lester. I, I can't say pick him up. He's he's rostered in 90% of leagues, which is just crazy to me. But are you starting to gain more confidence in John Lester, Scott? It, it feels just gross talking about it. 
I mean, one thing I've noticed with him is he's normally been more of a ground ball pitcher and his fly ball percentage is way up here in the early going, which is a good way to keep BABIP down if you can keep the ball in the park, which he's managed to do so far. I, you know, a fly ball pitcher who doesn't miss bats, which certainly he doesn't anymore. I'm still under the impression this is a very homer friendly environment. So I think that will catch up to him in the long run. And yeah, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. Sorry. Hey, real quick on these pit on these hitters. I haven't done any. Hey, real quick. I know that's an Adam thing, but we don't have much time, so we got to do this pretty quick. Uh, two more hits, including two runs, a walk, and an RBI for Anthony Santander, someone we spoke a lot about recently. Three more hits for his teammate Renato Nunez, who is now batting over 300. Nick Solak, three multi-hit games in a row, including Tuesday, three RBI. I don't know that he's a must start, Scott, but I almost want a must own, but I almost feel like you have to pick up Nick Solak right now. And then Byron Buxton, three more hits, uh, his first stolen base of the season. So he is hot right now. uh, Someone who has been quite streaky. I am interested in all of these players right now, but Nick Solak is the one that really stands out for me, Scott. The thing is Santander... Renato Nunez, Nick Solak, Byron Buxton, they're all probably must-have, must-roster in like a standard Roto League with the larger lineups and the emphasis on hitting. And then none of them are probably worth rostering in a points league. Maybe Nunez if you need like an extra bat there in your utility spot just because he's so hot right now. I dropped but Chris them, Davis they're, for they're, they're, they're like all on that... Uh, on the fringe there of, you know, a certain league depth. Yes, absolutely. And then on the other side of it, no, why would you do that? Nick Solak, I mean, if he's, he has three steals already, if that's going to be part of his profile this year, he's going to be outfield. He's already picked up outfield. He's going to be second base eligible soon, probably. Uh, That's going to be a very handy player because we know he can get on base. We know he makes contact at a good rate. That's going to be a handy player, but yeah, it's, it's also kind of like, which like, I'm not sure how much better I'm still questioning how much of a power hitter Solak is. That is fair. Uh, One thing I wanted to pay attention to coming into the season on Solak was if he would lower his ground ball rate last year was 52.9%. This year it's down to 41 and a half percent with his fly ball rate up 9%. His line drive rate up 3%, and he's making a ton of contact. I I think the power is going to come around for Solax. I, I understand that the, the lineups are shallower in points leagues. You might not have an opportunity to get him in now, but I'm pretty excited about him right now. So that's someone who's definitely available. He's only rostered in uh, 33% of CBS leagues right now, so... Someone that uh, definitely has my attention. Uh, Some quick bullpen notes from Tuesday. Miguel Castro was used in the eighth for the Baltimore Orioles, and he got a save over the weekend, so something that I was monitoring. And he had a two-run lead. He allowed three runs. Cole Solcer came in in the ninth. He had a two-run lead. He also blew it. Uh, He allowed a two-run single to Didi. I I guess Cole Solcer is, is still the guy, Scott, but... It's a gross situation regardless. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were we were pretty much writing him off after he gave up that home run to Judge uh, after picking, picking up his first two saves, and then he came right back with another. But, like, he's walking a lot of guys, and the Orioles, I don't suspect they're going to win often enough that you could ever feel confident in their closer pick kind of what way last year went. I mean, they happen to be eight and seven now, but um, just like we were saying for individual players, fortunes can turn very quickly for a team, especially one that you believe is bad. I think Cole Sulcer is, if he is still the closer, he is bottom of the barrel. Uh, mentioned Hector Neris at the top of the show. Wasn't really his fault that he wound up imploding. It was his infield defense. Uh, Taylor Rogers entered the game for the Twins in the bottom of the eighth in a tie game to face the heart of the lineup, and he wound up giving up a double to Christian Yelich and then a two-run homer to Jed Jerko, Nando DeFino favorite. Good times. Ryan Presley came in 
again on Tuesday in a one-run situation. Came in for the save, allowed two hits, a walk, and a run. Uh, and also out in Colorado, Yairo Diaz struggled. He allowed a couple of runs and actually had to be pulled once it became a one-run game, and Daniel Bard came in and closed it out. Uh, Scott, any speculative ads in, in some deeper Roto leagues regarding the Astros and the Rockies? I don't think Ryan Presley is healthy. I agree. Because he is too good to be this bad if he's healthy, and obviously he's, you know, he's already dealt with a couple injury situations this year. And the Astros don't really have anybody else. It's all rookies. Blake Taylor is a name I brought up before. He probably has the best numbers, but it's not like he's been super reliable of late. So I I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. It wouldn't surprise me if Presley went on the IL, but if he doesn't, I suspect he gets the next chance still. Uh, Carlos Estevez, I guess, would be next in line for the Rockies. He's been setting up for Diaz and hasn't allowed many runs this year. Hasn't. You know, it's not like he has even a strikeout per inning, so I'm not super excited about Estevez there. And it's possible maybe Daniel Bard could get that shot instead. That's not outside the realm of possibility. But Estevez is the one I would bank on if the Rockies were looking to make the make a move. Scott, I know that you don't want no scrub, but Andre Scrub pitched in the eighth inning in that game tonight. So seems for the like, Astros, yeah. yeah, for the Astros. So he might be the next guy up if you want to speculatively add someone in a Roto League. Rafael Montero picked up his third save of the season on Tuesday night as well. That'll do it, everyone. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today on our YouTube channel. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.